They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing what would be bad is for us not to fight back hey ho let's go this is 102.3 whiv lp fm in new orleans you're listening to resistance radio i am not feeling very well today i have a very sore throat uh and uh and so please forgive me for uh yes please uh forgive me for feeling kind of crummy today but it is a pleasure to uh be on air uh and uh, my very good friend kenny francis looking bundled uh, and warm with his hat his beanie on but uh, wearing his purple going purple i do you know liana got some purple like sheets and it's a very royal color i never really actually quite recognized what a royal color uh, i understand why people use it the way that they do and so Kenny Francis looking very royal, uh, without question, the smartest political mind, uh, certainly in this room, certainly in this building, without question, in the city, if not the state of Louisiana, uh, founding member of Indivisible NOLA. Welcome to Resistance Radio. Kenny Francis, we are also broadcasting live, lest I forget, on 1230 AM WBOK. Thank you to everybody at 1230 WBOK for making that happen. I like the new, like, for continuing our uh, our thing is, I like, I like Doc's new look. So for one... He has ditched the like bowling suits. Oh, I, I felt he's, sick he's, today. I stayed he's, home. He's, and he's, I wearing, a t- he's wearing a t-shirt and jeans, which is weird. Right. And not see him in like a three-piece 1920s <laughs> like peaky blinders I, uh, suit. Um, he also got. He also got. Um, he also has a haircut. And I cut it myself. He. It looks like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm particularly liking the like the mustache goatee combo you're going uh, with now. Yeah, just I needed with to the, shake it up with a new haircut. It's looking like, like I was trying to look punk rock. Did I get my no, not no. and not not there? You look like somebody's dad who's trying to still Aww, be cool. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like. 
He's the he is like right now he looks like somebody's dad who like lets them drink a glass of wine when they're like fourteen is like I'm, right. a, I'm not a regular I'm the dad. cool I I'm am a cool dad yeah like I always said if I had a kid I would be the dad that like puts the kid in that Johnny Cash shirt where he's like yes. flipping off the camera yes, like. that's exactly and that's exactly the look that you I got would going right on I'd right have the, the my kid be wearing the X or or germs T shirts and stuff like that. Um, I know we have a lot of things to get yeah, to, but um, so basically, we've got sort of a current events wrap up of like some things that we have to talk about because there's just like everywhere. Um, and then there's like two pretty two like sort of deep dives, like you guys know that we do sometimes. Um, one of those deep dives we're going to do is we're going to give you guys a wrap up of what happened at the city council hearing on short term rentals last week. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. And then the other thing is, as promised, I will be doing an explanation of what marginal tax rates are, since apparently Republicans can't understand that. Um, and so we're just going to do some education. Choose, and then also the uh, there was some protest today. Well, that's like we're going to go that. Before we get to that, though, what I would like you to do, Mark Allen, is you have some updates for folks about the podcast and about where you can find it now. Right. So for those of you that actually get this podcast, and I'm always impressed when I see the numbers. Um, and for those, yeah, why that, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, dude. What? Go ahead. You're such a millennial. <laughs> Um, no, please continue listening and uh, please uh, and continue giving us ratings. Uh, uh, but we, uh, coming up very soon, it may not happen on this podcast, but it may be happening on the next podcast where we're going to be interrupting the Apple uh, and Google and Stitcher and all that stream. So if you are subscribing to our podcast, we are actually shifting the base of our podcast over to the website, to the whivfm.org website. There'll be a page that says Resistance Radio. Uh, it's already up, but you have to search for it. It's not available uh, just by checking out the menus. But if you do a search for it, you'll find it. Um, and then on there will be the podcast. Our podcast moving forward for the whole station is going to be completely centered around the website. And so uh, uh, so if you are used to seeing this show up on your feed of podcasts, if you use something like Stitcher or some sort of podcast catcher, it's going to be interrupted. And if after like a couple days you realize that the podcast from Resistance Radio isn't there, please remember just to go back um, to whatever source you are looking for, resubscribe to it. And then once you resubscribe to it, you're going to be subscribing to it where the the basis is going to be the uh, station website. So to be super clear for folks, you will still be able, because like the majority of people probably listen to this podcast on just like the regular like iTunes, iPhone podcast app. Right. You will still be able to find it there. You just might have to resubscribe. You have to write resubscribe to it. Well, you that. might. It might. For some people, it might not undo it. Right. It may not undo, yeah. but for if but like, you don't if you see stop, it. If you stop getting it. Right. You if need you need to go back to your, your app and just resubscribe. Yep. That's, that, that's all you have to do. Thank you. Cool. All right. Um, so with that, I'm going to keep it over to you because we're going to go into a couple of sort of like current events things. So for one, there was um, for folks who didn't know, Darth Cheeto was in town today and there was a sizable protest um, for his presence and just like him being alive amongst all of the awful things that he does every day. Uh, Mark Allen was actually able to get down there and has some audio for us um, from folks that he was able to talk to while he was out there. Um, and then we're going to briefly cover the um the government shutdown and a couple of things that and something that is good news, something great that Ruby Slipper is doing for folks that are affected. Right. So um, this was the uh, press release that was released that workers from across New Orleans will converge on the uh, Memorial Convention Center on Monday to declare a national emergency over President Trump's war against workers, communities of color, immigrants, women 
and the LGBT community. The announcement coincides with President Trump's appearance at the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention and comes as President Trump shut down over the border wall is enforcing hundreds of thousands of federal workers to struggle with how to provide for their families. And with that, let me, this was some of the sound. That I, I just want to, before you start out, I just want to say one thing. Did you see about how he tweeted at like six o'clock in the morning that he was going to Nashville and how excited he was going oh, to be going to Nashville and then they like quickly deleted it? Like that's, that's just like the level of like competency of this administration. And you know why he said Nashville is because that's where the convention was last year. Oh, is it? And so they just like, <laughs> he just, he's such God. God. You know, just as a matter of like behind, like, so, behind the scenes, uh, behind baseball, like inside baseball type of stuff. When Kenny and I have different ways of thinking about things, and whenever he refers to the president of Darchito, I always roll my eyes and I'm like, we're professional broadcasters, whatever. <laughs> but that was the one time where, yeah. where I will give you Darchito for thinking yeah. that he's going to Nashville. And I mean, that and, is ridiculous. I mean, that, that signifies so many things, but like, I just want folks to think about the fact that. This man couldn't even like clearly read the briefing that told him where he was going today. Yeah. This is the same person that gets the intelligence briefing every day about the threats and to our actual security that right. don't include what's happening and you know at, the how board, he gets at the border. It, don't you? Oh yeah, they had made he made them condense it down they, to like a one page. Right, he gets it like a tweet. He yeah. gets them very very short. Whereas usually there should they're anywhere between six to like ten pages long. Uh, uh, President Obama. And that's a short version, right? Yeah, President Obama would get his and he would read it and then meet with his staff after it was read and he was thoroughly briefed. The president gets his. It's got his name is highlighted. Did you hear this? Yes. He's got pictures. Yes. In there. It's so like very, basically, so for those who, because I don't realize we, I just realized we didn't really explain it. For those who don't know what we're talking about, um, every single day the president of the United States gets a briefing, an abridged briefing of. Basically, the intelligence community says, here are all the things happening in the world. These are the threats, right? Here are the threats. Here are the things to think about as the leader of the free world who, like, this stuff might happen under your watch unless we find a way to stop it or if these things happen. You need to know. This is stuff you need to know. Typically, you know, something like that is, like, hours and hours and hours and hours of work that thousands of people undergo. And then their staff condenses it down to, like, a readable format that the president of what the president actually needs to know. So one thing is that whoever gets to like do that breakdown, usually their um, director of national security controls a lot because they control what the president sees and what doesn't see. Donald, as you said, pre- pretty much standard is like it would be like eight to ten pages, something like that. Um, Donald Trump insisted that it got sent down. It got all of the world's like issues right. on a daily basis <laughs> that he needed to know about could fit. <laughs> On a one pager, and that's that's like who we have as president. And, and also, they realize that when he sees his name, he responds to it better. Oh and God. also, he also was unfamiliar with parts of the world, so they actually had to start including maps just so that like he could. Whereas President Obama obviously, obviously did not need to know these things, uh, but with uh, with Trump, he had to have maps. He had to have like just so that he knew. And I understand. I'm if picturing. You're, I'm picturing but, a like. I like kids drawing of like, here's where Mexico is, by right. the way. <laughs> Just here's Nashville and there's New Orleans <laughs> separated by 800 miles. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, All right. Here's the audio. So this is about, uh, I condensed it down for about two minutes. The really the big piece that I had, I wasn't able to get off my phone, unfortunately, but we do have some pieces here. Um, the audio quality is, is pretty decent. There's a little bit of wind in the background, and there's about 30 seconds of untranslated Spanish. But when we get back on there, I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll kind of try to do my best to explain what the worker was saying. So here we go. 
And of course it didn't play. So let's try again <laughs> and let's go again. So why is this? Oh not? no. Yeah. It, oh, is... and you know why? Because I just got a text message a second ago and I muted my computer. All right. Let's just three. Try number three. Yeah. Now, now this is going to work. Nope. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that it didn't work. Today to um, make a stance against Trump's arrival in the city, but also as a show of solidarity with workers all across the city and in the nation as a whole. Um, this government shutdown is really more than what it meets what meets the eye. Um, it's really um, a power move on behalf of the capitalist class, both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. It is veering away our focus from what's important and what we need more than anything right now is workers' power. We need workers to understand that if we get organized and we come together with one solid message, then we have more power than any of the people in office do at present moment. Thank you, my dear. Mi nombre es Santos Canales. Uh, estamos aquí porque estamos en contra de las políticas de la administración actual. Creo que estamos en un momento difícil, pero sabemos que el pueblo no quiere un muro, el pueblo no quiere una división, el pueblo necesita unidad, necesita trabajo, necesita el esfuerzo de todos para llegar a una unidad que nos ayude a salir adelante de tantas dificultades que tenemos. Ya basta de usar a nuestro pueblo como excusa para defender sus derechos, para defender los intereses de algunos cuantos. Muchas gracias. Jenny Yanis. Uh, Nona Matters Islam in the Crescent City. Uh, so we're out here uh, trying to let Trump know that he ain't welcome in New Orleans. He ain't welcome anywhere where people don't want fascists or white supremacists or white nationalists. And we are in large numbers out here. Uh, so when his motorcade comes by, he could see how we feel about him and his racist self. And I'll be nice about it. Thank you very much. And so uh, in the middle there, we heard a little bit of Spanish uh, and um, the best that I can do. And for those uh, Spanish speakers here that are hearing uh, this, please don't laugh at me. But the best that I got from that uh, was that uh, that was a protester that was there who said, you know, we're protesting against this wall. And uh, the only emergency there is is the emergency and the need for jobs and the need for the ability to work uh, and, and provide uh, for families. But uh, I did get another a couple more clips, but again, as I said, the uh, files were too big to get off my phone, and I wasn't able to. I figured I had to, f had to flip those files off. So uh, we'll be doing some homework with this new phone. Uh, I thought I just got to figure out why that's the case. It wasn't that way with my old phone. But Matches your haircut. Like. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's shaved and, uh, and thinned out. Um, well, I just meant your difficulty... Yeah, the With technology yeah. matches your look now. Um, the uh, right because I'm old is the the joke. Kenny was making it funny. He's you know he forgets that I'm actually the one that makes the jokes here. What was that noise? Um, anyway, so uh, of course Trump was in town uh, today. Uh, it was a quite an incredible motorcade. I actually saw it uh, drive by. Was uh, it huge? Uh, yeah, it was and very very fast. Um, it was pretty remarkable uh, how fast that they go, and and the way it was explained to me is that the streets are all the side streets are blocked off mm -hmm. completely, and so they're able to get and they're able to blow through yeah, in, I mean, intersections, right? For yeah, for any president, so they're able to decrease the amount of time that they're actually on the road. Yeah, and so they they can get from point A to point B. If you're thinking about it, like 
you know, regardless of who's president, they're the biggest target in the world. Yeah, of course. And so the more you keep that target moving and out of sight, the right. harder it is the, to plan any sort of like right. attack or something Absolutely. Like um, I, I, it was a very impressive uh, showing. I think there was a couple hundred people that were there, I would Good. say. Um, it was very, very, uh, it was a very mixed crowd uh, in terms of uh, gender diversity, um, in terms of racial and ethnic diversity. That was really great to see. That sounds about right in, for a new In terms of age diversity as well. So it was really amazing uh, to see uh, an incredible group of folks that were out there. This weekend, I also went and had breakfast. Can I at, say something? One thing. Yes. Yes. This, that reminds me of what the crowd was like at the Take Him Down Nola protest when um, Lee was coming down, and then a bunch of the white supremacists came to town and like wanted to have some sort of confrontation. They and, wanted a tussle. And like, yeah, and like a thousand New Orleanians turned right. out, and it was like, right. no, get out of our city. Right, right, right. That was also exactly like what you're describing. Right. Like, very, very. Um, and it's something that like for all of our issues as a city, yeah. um, it's something that I'm always like very proud to be like a New Orleanian. Right. And then I also am very proud just about that event in particular was planned here uh, in our boardroom. Very cool. Yeah. So that was uh, that was something we were sitting around wondering how to respond to it. And then that 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 came up. And so I um, mean, I and the Nation magazine just did a really nice story on on the taking on Lee coming down and and name checked uh, Malcolm Suber. Uh, as well so and of course they were all out there today and it was really refreshing to see but before we move on because we do have a lot of things to talk about I, I i did have i had breakfast at ruby slipper um which is one of my favorite little breakfast nooks uh, here in new orleans and after we were done uh, eating, uh, they uh, asked if we were government workers and we did, were we government employees, essentially. And if so, did we have any ID to prove that? And I asked why they were asking. And they said that they were actually giving away free meals to uh, members, uh, federal workers and their families and friends. Whoever they came in with, they got a free meal. Uh, and That's uh, That's really we, we, uh, we tried to get somebody from, um, uh, uh, from a Ruby Slipper in to talk to us about that but we did get uh and unfortunately nobody was able to come in uh on such a short notice of what, a couple days six on a monday yeah but but we did get a uh we did get the ceo uh miss jennifer um uh, uh weishawk uh to uh, give us a statement and she says here we were shocked to learn how many residents of the gulf coast would be furloughed by the government shutdown one of our core values is to be neighborly and providing our neighbors with a free meal is the least that we can do over the last six days, we have served almost 3,000 meals to government workers and their families. It's been humbling and heartwarming to hear their stories and to be able to alleviate just a tiny amount of the stress that they're feeling. And again, this was the founder and CEO of Ruby Slipper, uh, Miss Jennifer uh, Weishaupt. And uh, I just feel that that's just great. And we really need to highlight stories like that. Uh, with respect to uh, what's happening with the shutdown uh, and and how people are responding to it. And it really speaks to the American experience of just how stressful life is uh, in the U.S. and how we can't count on our government uh, to even provide for the most basic uh, of things. So if you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. I'm your host, Mark Allendary. I obviously have a cold. With me is somebody who doesn't have a cold, whose brain is sharp as always, Mr. Kenny Francis. We're proudly streaming live. 
I just this voice is just my normal raspy sexy voice. Oh, is that what it is? It's the, <laughs> I, I just thought you were gonna talk about your snark. Uh where it's probably streaming live on twelve thirty AM WBOK. Somebody's wearing purple and somebody's wearing black. You guess which one is uh, <laughs> who's here. To, to the point you were just making though about the government shutdown, I do want to add one more thing. Um if you're you should be confused about who's doing this. This is simply the Republicans <coughs> and specifically Trump holding the country hostage over a border wall that's not even polling well with his own supporters. I do want to point out something that just shows you just how like just like how bold faced some of these folks are. Right before we came on air, I caught a story about uh, the senator from Colorado, Cory Gardner, who's got thousands of federal employees in his dish in his in his state that are currently furloughed and not getting paid and haven't been for over 24 business days now. And particularly with all the national parks they have in Colorado, there's a lot of federal workers out there. Guess what he was doing today while people are at home not getting checks? What was that? He Golfing? was, no, even worse Getting than Getting a massage? He was spotted going into and then leaving a lobbyist fundraiser. Of course. So just to recap that for you guys, Cory Gardner, while thousands of residents in his home state were going on another day without pay and another day, day 23, without being able, 24, 24. Without, right. without being able to take care of their families. And what was he spending his time doing? He was getting Corvette lobbyist money. Right. So, and that, and that just tells you everything you need right. to know. About Again, another analogy. I, I, for, for listeners of resistance radio, uh, you guys are already very, um, politically astute and, and I, there's nothing that we can tell you about the shutdown that you all haven't already heard. Kenny and I decided that what we were going to do is in talking about it today, just real focus real quickly on the suffering that's happening out there. And there is a lot of suffering. 800,000 people are furloughed. Uh, 400,000 people aren't getting paychecks. Uh, you know, that's a sizable amount of obviously the American population. There's thousands of GoFundMe sites uh, that are up. We tried to get some federal workers uh, on air today. It was incredibly difficult. I've spent the last couple days, nobody, nobody, despite us swearing and promising and willing to hand over whatever they would ask that we would keep them anonymous. The fear of getting on air and saying something so as to not lose their job is very palpable. But I know that we all recognize that people are hurting, but I hope that this really helps clarify that what we have in in our government is literally a two-tiered system. I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about the haves and the have-nots or the establishment and those that are not in the establishment and how that they would use workers, people like you and I, as pawns in a larger game so as to uh, so as to uh, that, that Trump does not do something where he's going to look like a fool, where he's not going to get his wall. He's having a tantrum. He wants to stupid wall we all know the wall doesn't mean squat and the amount of money that he's asking for is five billion dollars that amount of money is now being lost in how much time the government has been shut down yeah. come this week and w- the rest of the world looks at us as just being like uh, incapable of running our own government and 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 this is and i i'll say this and, and i know we have a lot more to talk about but 
One is Americans, I, I often say on Resistance Radio, we're uniquely, uh, we're unique in that we always vote against our interests or there's a sizable portion of the population that votes against their own interests. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't trust the government. Whereas other countries, when you go to countries that have higher uh, Gini coefficients or coefficients that look at the level of happiness, for example, in Scandinavia, countries uh, in other parts of the world where the happy index is much higher. I mean, here in the U.S., it's actually it's the unhappy index score is very, very high. But those are places where people actually trust the government and work with the government. And unfortunately, this country was founded uh, in multiple uh, with two huge sins, cardinal sins of stealing the land uh, from uh, from First Nation peoples and then stealing uh, stealing uh, people from Africa and then uh, exploiting their their work and their labor, their bodies uh, in a violent way uh, to uh, build uh, the riches of this country. And those two large cardinal sins uh, in 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 the setting of a group of people who already don't trust the government just makes you know in 2019 we're just in a place now where it's just hard to get anything done and what we advocate for here on WHIV on resistance radio or maybe just speaking for myself is a place where people can be treated equally where all people are equitably. treated equitably and, and and fairly and given the same amount of uh, of privilege in society uh, and and the fact that that people are being used as pawns and there just seems to be no care now in terms of the the horse race and, and what to do next I agree the Democrats should not do anything Thing. But when you see what they're doing in terms of the horse race and how, you know, they're going to have to offer a bill that's going to, quote unquote, save face for the president, because that's the way that they get to be. They get to have their face saved. Whereas Obamacare, when it came to the president, if President Obama were doing this, the vicious retaliation that would happen on the right. I mean, it, did happen. I, it did happen. But I mean, it's just it's profound. And then you have somewhere along the way, what surfaces through this noise is you have a uh, Steve King, a congressman from Iowa, who's able to just say like and then like at least again, the one thing that Trump did is it's like the same reason why I like people who drive around with Confederate flags. At least I know who the a-holes are. Right. You just are identifying who you are. Trump has made it OK for folks to remove their hoods and the hood that got removed. And we always known this about Steve King in Iowa. But the fact that he then starts talking about white supremacy and how white supremacists in this country are being vilified and what's wrong with white supremacy just just encapsulates the whole problem. Yeah. And, and it does. And I and just to say, we just need a third party. Uh, the the one thing I do want to add to this before we move forward is I want to read a a quote that Reverend Barber. If you're not familiar with the Reverend William Barber, he is a civil rights activist and obviously a reverend in the name. He and also opens our show. Yes, and he's one of the voices you hear in our in our. In the drop of intro, our show, the um, the, it's the part where it's like, what is bad is not what they are doing. What will be bad is for us not to fight back. Um, he's also spearheading the, the new Poor People's Campaign, picking up MLK's work from 50 years ago. He put out a, a statement, which I thought sort of really, really purposely encapsulated, because there are some folks out there, and it's sort of cre starting to creep in as this goes on and on, that, well, you know, the Democrats should give some, and the Republicans should give some, and they should come to some compromise because everyone's getting hurt. 
And he put out a statement essentially saying that the, the Democrats should not compromise. Um, and I think he said it perfectly, so I'm not going to change his words. I'm just going to read him. He said, Trump should, he said, to those who say that Trump should give in on DACA and that Pelosi should do the wall and compromise, we must be really clear to say no. The wall isn't negotiable because it's based on lies, on racism, and white nationalism. It's like saying that white only signs were okay as long as black folks got clean restrooms. And that's and that's exactly right. And I don't think there's like any better way to say like why this is different, why this has to be a red line in the sand that we draw and say we have control of the Congress now. No. You're not getting 5.8 billion dollars for the wall. No. No compromise. No, like this is one of those things that I think this is a line in the sand that we have to draw and say we you you can't get this without our approval. You're not getting it because and, it's racist. It's based on white. There's, there's, there's no argument for the wall that is anything but xenophobia did, and racism. Did, did there's you, nothing. Did you see that they took a saw and they sawed through? Yes. Yeah. Also, is the wall going to have a ceiling? Like, is it going to stop people from coming in on planes? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Or, I'm so confused. Or, or the idea of just putting building a ladder, which I, just, I thought I don't, was so funny. Don't um, just and also just to, uh, um, I lost my. Train. Um, that's fine because we need to move forward because yeah. I do want to spend the last sort of half an hour that we have covering the two sort of things I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in. One being marginal tax rates and the explanation of that. The other being the short-term rental hearings. Since we're already talking about the federal government, I think I'm getting the little crick in my throat from I, you. I, 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 um, the federal. So since we're already talking about the federal government, we'll stick with that for now. So to give some folks some context here, about two weeks ago everyone's new favorite congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, on an interview with 60 Minutes, floated the idea of doing a 70 cent, 70% marginal tax rate it, for the d- highest earners. It was 60 to 70. And conservatives freaked out. Um, and some conservatives use it as an opportunity to just lie and to like distort what she said and to make it sound like she's trying to take 70% of every American's paycheck. Other conservatives might not like literally i think there's some of them that literally don't understand how a marginal tax rate works so what i'm going to do for everyone is i'm going to complete i'm going to very simplified in a very simplified and hopefully short way explain basically how our taxes work now a little bit about marginal tax rates and then what this would actually look like so let's start with the basics so in america we have what's called a progressive tax that means that you pay more based off your income There are some people, like Ben Carson, who is an idiot, that believes that we should pay a flat tax. So what a flat tax would be... Nine, nine, nine. What a flat tax would be, and what people who who say that you should pay would be, let's say I make $40,000 a year, and Mark Allen makes $400,000 a year. A flat tax would say, we both pay the same amount tax rate, regardless of our income, and everyone just pays that. So let's say it was 20%. You'd pay 20% whether you made $400,000 or whether you made $40,000. Now, conservatives believe that doing a progressive tax where you pay more as you make more money is quote-unquote socialism because you're taking more from me just because I worked harder, the whole bootstrap thing. I worked harder for that extra money that I'm making over you. Why should I pay more in taxes? You should just work harder. We're not going to get into bootstrapism and how absurd and the absurdity of trickle-down economics what we have in America is a progressive tax system where you pay a certain amount based off of how much you pay on a, essentially on a sliding scale. So currently where that stands is if you make less than $9,700, $9, you pay no taxes. Your tax rate is 
Well, to be clear, you don't pay a federal income tax. You pay federal income tax. We, yes. You pay taxes. And we're just talk, we're talking about just federal taxes. Right. Right. The, just to be clear that we just want to make yes. sure that because people use that all the time that like the immigrants That's or they, they don't that pay taxes true. and that no everybody pays taxes. You just don't pay federal income taxes. Thank you for that clarification. If you make over that amount, you pay up to 12% in that bucket. Now, something that I want to mention about these buckets that's important is people, a common misconception is that let's say you make $9,701. There are people out there that think that then that now automatically bumps you into the next much higher tax bracket and you pay that on your thing. And so there are folks that argue that like that you, if you get a raise that like slightly raises your, um, your income that all of a sudden is going to put you in this huge, much higher tax bracket that's going to make you pay all this money and actually make you make less money. That's actually not generally true. The way that it pays, the way that that works is that you pay the amount that's over that. So for example, let's say that you make $9,700. You would pay an effective tax rate of 12%. But then let's say you get a raise of $5,000 and now you're over that, but under the next bucket, what you pay is you pay the higher tax rate on the amount that you're over that amount. So let's say you got a raise to from almost $10,000 to $15,000, which would move you slightly into a higher tax bracket. What you would pay is you would pay the increased percentage on the extra five grand you made over the 10, not on the whole 15. And that's the misconception that people consistently make. People think if I make $50,000 and I'm in one tax bracket and then I make $2,000 extra, all of a sudden I'm going to pay this much higher tax break. No, you're going to pay the higher percentage on the 2000 extra dollars. Right. And, and to be clear also, and I, I think Kenny's doing a great job explaining this, but one thing that I, I think you were too fair on is that to say that that the politicians don't understand this. I think they understand no, they this exactly. They, they are do. not. They're not taking the time to explain. As I do you're, think that some of them don't, though. I really do think some and, of them cannot and, explain oh, it. That's fine. Maybe they can't explain it, but but they allow people to be confused. Yeah. And because yeah. it's in that confusion yeah. that sows dissonance and distrust. And when you distrust the government and when you distrust people around you or what have you. Then you're down that, for deregulation. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. Then you will allow the establishment to continue so to run roughshod. Let me finish. So basically, so looking at the different brackets. So right now you got, if you make roughly $10,000, you pay about 12%. If you make roughly $40,000, you make you pay about 22%. If you make roughly $85,000, you, you pay about 24%. If you make roughly one hundred sixty thousand dollars, you may you pay about thirty two percent. If you make roughly two hundred thousand dollars, you pay about thirty five percent. And then the highest tax bracket we have for single individuals is if you pay if you make roughly five hundred thousand dollars, you pay a thirty seven percent tax rate. And remember, you pay that progressively on how much you earn. So for that person that's paying thirty seven percent for that five hundred thousand dollars, you're not actually paying thirty seven percent on $500,000. You pay the lower percents that we just mentioned up until 499,000 and then whatever you make over 500,000, you are taxed at 37% of that. So let's say you are a, a very high earner, $500,000 puts you in less than 1% of the people in America. And let's say you made $550,000 in a year. You would be taxed at the lower amounts for the first 499,000 of that. And then that extra fifty grand that you made over the five hundred thousand dollar threshold, you would pay thirty seven percent on that, which is much less 
in terms of what you pay tax-wise if you just got charged 37% for $500,000. And so that's a misconception that people consistently make. Um, and that and that's referred to as progressive taxing. Yeah, that's the progressive, that's a progressive tax. The taxes get a little... Or marginal. They, they, right, they're progressively say. higher yes. the more you make, whereas the, some of the flat tax are called regressive and so, because the poorer end up yes. paying more money yes. per uh, percentage just to, to I think, their... And I think, a, and I think a good way to explain that, which I've done before, is sales tax. And sales tax, you pay a flat rate regardless of what you're buying, regardless of your income. And what we know about, depending on something like sales tax, is like you said, it places the tax burden on the poor because people who are more likely to need more of these things and people who are more likely to have less income, they're paying much higher amounts of their income for things like groceries on taxes than someone with a bunch of money would. And something I do want to take a like ground us in is a little bit of a little bit of a history lesson here. Because another part of this conversation that folks have conflated or confused is to act as if this floating this idea of sixty to seven percent marginal tax rate for the top earners would be unprecedented and socialism taking off the taking over the country. When we've done it before for quite a long time, for actually most of our history. So from 1920 up until the end of the the John F. Kennedy presidency, the highest marginal tax rate in America was, do you know what it was? I think it was like 91%. It was 90%. 90%. The highest earners in America paid paid 90% marginal tax rate. Up until the end of the Kennedy era, after he was assassinated, and, and also when when we talk about make America great again, quote unquote, make America great again, or when you look at charts as to the highest levels of income inequity or inequality versus those that have the lowest levels of inequality, it happened right after the uh, uh, well, the me, stock market well, crash. Well, so and so here, so here's how we got to where we are now. So before Kennedy's assassination. The rates that we had were if you made over $200,000, you paid 54% on every dollar you made over $200,000. If you made over $1.5 million, you paid 90% tax rate on every dollar you made over the $1.5 million. And then it started to progressively come down, and it still was as high as 70% for the highest earners until, guess who changed it? I bet you can guess. Reagan. Yes, their favorite dude. Ronald Reagan is the president who changed it. He he slashed it by twenty percent his first year in office, and that it, was why he was voted and in it office. Cons- and it consistently came down to where it is now, where the highest earners in our country pay a thirty-seven percent marginal tax rate on their highest parts of their income. And then we're not even getting into all the exemptions and all of the write-offs and all and the, corporate, the corporate tax havens right, yeah. and all of that that has been added over the last thirty-five years, so that. You have people like Donald Trump, who from the one year of tax returns we were able to see, paid an effective tax rate of only 15%, which is less than someone like you or I pay because of all of the different exemptions and deductions and tax havens and corporate capital gains and everything. Well, like Warren Buffett always says that he pays less taxes than his secretary. The year that Mitt Romney was talking about the whole 47% thing and all that when he was running against Obama in 2012, he paid an effective tax rate of 12% because of all, because of all of the tax games that they were play. And that's what these people have been doing since Ronald Reagan is first they slash, they slash the, the marginal tax rate on the highest earners as low as they can get it. And second, then they just basically got rid of corporate taxes, or there's no corporation that pays more than like 15% of the revenue. Corporations are people, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
there is like no corporate tax rate that's like higher than twenty percent. So that's like the most low Apple. Well, something like sixty billion dollar company. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're paying like twenty percent. And they're like in Ireland, so yeah, and, oh yeah. And then they're like hiding their money they're, overseas. They're, hi- they're hiding. And then they added. Then then they added just like bags and bags and bags and bags of deductions. Right. Right off. They, they actually get exemptions. money back. Yeah. Some of the largest American corporations get money back. I mean, we wonder why. You know, there was this incredible study. Kenny, I, I hate to butt in, but let me just say real quickly. There was this incredible study that came out last week in a in a journal called Circulation, and Circulation is the premier journal for uh, uh, cardiologists and cardiovascular surgeons. It's exactly as it says, Circulation. It's the premier journal for cardiologists. And in there, uh, what it showed was that uh, a remarkable study that I wrote about was that people who have uh, highest income fluctuations, or even if your income fluctuates twice in your lifetime, right, over the course of 15 years, and those people who are at the lowest socioeconomic status, so two different variables, they were looking at people who were poor, and they were also looking at people who fluctuated with their incomes. They had over 100% likelihood of, compared to non, that had uh, a, a likelihood of coronary vascular disease as well as all-cause mortality. So the stresses yeah. from income, yeah. essentially, and the stresses from being poor, Increase now we are able to measure. We always have known that people who are poor have lower uh, mortality rates or their their survivability rates are much different than people who are rich. In fact, it separates out by 15 years, but now we can actually measure that it comes down to coronary vascular disease. In other words, heart attacks are more likely to happen uh, just from stress alone. And as you said, um, when Ronald Reagan became president and all of this tax reform started to happen in the early 80s, income inequality, Income inequality yeah, in our country started. has start, started to take off, and it's been rising ever since. Yep. And it's every year it's higher than it's ever been. So a couple more points I'm going to make about this. If we did – so just I just want to create a scenario here just for argument's sake. So if we did a high marginal tax rate on the highest earner, so let's say the 70% marginal tax rate that um, – Well, Alexander, to be clear, she said 60 to okay, 70. But let's, but let's just take the high okay, range. Okay. Let's say 70. We're just making well, an argument They were here. just beating on her with but the let's, 70. Let's say 70%. But let's say their worst case scenario. Let's okay, say 70%. Okay. Or the best right? case scenario, Well, I for think. them, for them, right? <laughs> right? So 70%. And then one thing that she did not clarify, she didn't clarify what the threshold would be. So just for like argument's sake, let's say that the threshold is $10 million, just for argument's sake. So so anything over $10 million would be yes, taxed we, at- there's, there's math going into this. That's why. Um, so if we talk about, first of all, who would this impact? Less than 16,000 people in our country out of the over 300 million residents How many make that kind of Less than 16,000. Make over 10 million? Yes. That's I find that hard to believe. Less than 16,000 is what the data shows. Wow. That's not saying assets. No, I got like you. yearly income. Yeah, okay, okay. Less, okay. less than 16,000 people make that kind of money. So this is less you, than half than a quarter of 1% of the country. Right. It's literally 16,000 people. Just, I mean, 16,000 people is like, what, one of the stands in the Superdome? Right, I was going to say. Um, it's like maybe the upper deck. Right, or um, or the uh, the booths, right? Yeah, it's, it's maybe like the suites. <laughs> the suites, that's it. And, um, I mean, it's like the average attendance at a Pelicans game, but <laughs> it's, that's another story. Um, so let's say, so this, for these 16,000 people with this $10 million threshold, that would be taxing what would be roughly math wise $244 billion in income at that threshold of 70%, which would add $72 billion a year to our revenue as a country, 
or $720 billion over 10 years. 10 years right. So by taxing these 16,000 people who definitely have it to give, we would generate additional revenue over a 10-year span of $720 billion. And that's the Republicans' like worst case scenario. Right, and that would pay for Medicare for all. That so would pay I, for I, so I did some of that. I did some of that. I did some okay. of that, that research. Right. And so looking at what some of these things cost, and actually some of this is to build some nuance in here because some of these things actually cost more than what we thought they would. So something that you could pay for full stop without even thinking about it and have money left over is you could pay for universal pre-K. Universal pre-K, making it free for everyone to go to pre-K 3 and pre-K 4, would cost our sense of country roughly. When you say pre K three and pre K four, is so, that the age? Yes. So okay. that means like that means that if we did this, every child would have a free publicly funded spot starting at, the at age three, of three years old. And what we have seen, the data is overwhelming. Yes. That the earlier the education, as early as someone whose background is early childhood education, I argue that we need to take that all the way down to six weeks. Six weeks and have I'm early living centers from six weeks on. I'm with you on but that. But it's a it's a gradual argument. We're not going to get it Got all it. at the same time. But let's say you did three three year olds and four year olds universal, paid for just like it is for K twelve, that would cost us roughly fifty billion over ten years as a country. So remember, we would have seven hundred and twenty billion to spend. We could spend fifty billion on it on universal pre K. Hold on, what do you know? What that would come back back in terms of tax revenue I mean, t- in like t- twenty or the thirty typical, years. The typical numbers is- say that like for every dollar that you get. That you invest you in early childhood, you get forty percent of your rate of return over the life of the child, um, or the adult rather, or the adult right. over the life of the person. Right. Um, in terms of like the positive benefits of society, if right now I walked into anyone who who does any sort of like investing and said, I can right. guarantee you right. 40 percent rate of return, right. they would hand me their children, <laughs> right, and say, right. of course, do with this as you please. Right. Well, yeah. I don't even need to hear the rest of it. Right. 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 Um. So another it, thing, another thing that we could pay for is the current estimate of how much student loan debt is in our country is that roughly forty-four million people owe around a trillion dollars. Insane. We could throw seven hundred and twenty. Yeah, first of all, an insane number. Right. That it's we all insane. owe. But we could throw seven hundred and twenty billion dollars at that, and that would that the impacts that that would have on our economy and on our society of releasing those people, particularly those that are working in, say, public service jobs. Imagine the incentive that you could have to actually work in public service and to try to help benefit your community rather than just like taking some like banking job. And that's not saying that like working in the private sector is a bad thing, but like one of the things about the public sector is like altruism is the only benefit and the only incentive. And then we wonder why people avoid it or can't do it or it's unsustainable. Right. Because you essentially can't make a living doing something that like positively affects affects right. your, well, your that's community. That's because Ayn Rand, a, a Russian national, has taken over the political yes. philosophy of, so of our country. Some things I do want to like give us a dose of reality though that cost more than we thought it would. So something that folks have talked about is universal basic income, giving just like giving every American by rights like the the poverty line, which is twelve thousand dollars, that would actually cost us thirty eight trillion over 10 years. Medicare for all would cost $33 trillion over 10 years. The new Green, green Deal is estimated to cost up to $40 trillion over 10 years. So those things cost a bit more than what I think some folks think it, think they do. I think some... those. Where where did you get those numbers? I, I Just a bunch of like different research. Okay, because I... I mean, it's like Pew... It's, it's, okay, it's $33 trillion for Medicare for all over 10 years. I know that that number is actually smaller, but it's nuanced, and we'll have that conversation later. And I also think that like 
there's to take into account this isn't taking into account like saving I got and yes yes that. yes yeah. yes because the uh the big research project that that the Koch brothers did and I can't remember the name of it it's on the tip of my tongue that came out in August showed that there's an incredible savings yeah but and again, but, that none yes, of that, no but, those numbers yes. are including savings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the point that I've been making with this whole conversation about marginal tax rates is that one, it's not crazy. It's an idea that we actually did for a very long time. And that was until, when America was quote unquote great. Yes. <laughs> this America that people are talking about being so great, that was a t- during that time we had a marginal, marginal tax, tax rate, rate of ninety percent. Right. As the highest tax break tax earners. This idea of a marginal tax rate being much higher or even double what it is currently isn't crazy. It actually happened for most of our democracy in the tw- in the twenty first century. Um, and the 20th too. And it's this sort of an idea that's only existed since the 80s that it's crazy to do that. Mm. I think the second thing is that should be obvious to everyone now is that we are leaving so much money on the table as a society that we could be putting to all these things that we're saying we can't afford w- by just letting wars. these people keep. Right. Yes. So can I so can I yeah. just say this, Kenny? So two things. One is when they talk about making America great again, you never hear about the financial no. aspect. It's gender no. and it's racial yeah. differences. Is yeah. that that is the make America great again? It comes down to racial and gender differences. It's not oh let's make America great again. I'd like to make America great again by marginalized tax rates yeah. of ninety yeah. percent on the top one percent of the top earners. That would be great. But the thing that you know, Leon and I went to Iceland, uh, and it seems like in Iceland they just have a lot of nice things. And <laughs> we went to Europe after, and they just have a lot of nice things. And we they came, pay for stuff. Right. We, we were like, ah, oh, we can't have nice things in America, right? Nothing is nice. And the thing is, is that when we think about Medicare for All, or we think about early childhood education, or we think about uh, housing, or we think about uh, a, a guaranteed income, or we think about just the things that make life just that intangible je ne sais quoi that makes life good. They don't, excuse me, I'm not feeling very well today. They don't make that available. The establishment does not want to make that available to the masses because they don't want to empower us. Yeah. They we do, they don't want to give us early childhood education because we'll be empowered. They don't want to give us a guaranteed income because they we don't they don't want us to be empowered. They they don't want to give us health care for all because that would empower us and that would ultimately take them down and allow the masses to rise. I couldn't agree with you more. This um, is 102.3 WHIV this is Resistance Radio. I think that reminds me of my all-time favorite onion article. That there's an Onion article which y'all everyone should go find. It's from like ten years ago, something like that. But the article, if I remember correctly, the title is something like Cong- "In like Snafu, Congress accidentally adequately funds public education," <laughs> and then it had like a bunch of like fake quotes from real senators in there. And I remember one of them was like, um, I think it was at the time. It was the, the 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 leader before McConnell. Who's before McConnell? Uh, well, that was Harry. Uh, Harry the no, the Republican. A uh, Republican. Uh, who was? Oh, it was, it was the doctor. It was cardiovascular surgeon. I uh, can't. Remember, I can't remember who it is. He's from Mississippi. Here. I can like see his face. Yeah, yeah. John I, something. Um. Anyway, there's a quote from him that was saying, "This is disaster. In 20 years, we're gonna have a society of critical thinking, there, educated folks." You. That are going to vote you. us out of office. Thank this you. is terrible. We're not right. going to be able to reverse the effects of this for decades. Right. And it's exactly what you're saying. Well, I mean, think about it. it's a it's not a coincidence that we're John the, Boehner. That's who it was. No, Boehner was not the before McConnell. McConnell's in the Senate. Boehner's in the House. 
I thought you were talking about the the uh, the leader of the Senate. The leader of the Senate was a cardiothoracic surgeon here from Mississippi. Um, uh, anyway, the, the, the point, uh, here is that, uh, that it's not a coincidence that the things that make life better for human beings, we don't have America because that gets taken away. That gets taken away through taxes. It's very, what, what Ocasio-Cortez is doing is, and I, and I, to be honest with you, in all honesty, taking away all the joking, I'm actually really quite afraid um because i I mean we're already starting to see the knives come out even on the democratic party and there were some articles over the weekend uh, like from quote-unquote blue dogs uh democrats which are actually named after the blue dog uh from uh the that is known here in in new orleans and louisiana yeah it's 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 from the loop guru uh uh, anyway so that's where blue dog comes from but anyway uh they're already starting to come after her because she's being too effective she has now more uh, Twitter uh, followers and any other leader in in both the House and the Senate, uh, and uh, and again, you know what I have to say about that. The yes. Democratic Party is just a bunch of Republicans, and we need a new party. And the Republicans are just white supremacists now. And the Republicans are white supremacists. Good point. They decided to be white supremacists in the sixties. Right. Um, look up the Southern Strategy if you've never heard of that. And just yes. have a nice read. Yeah. Um, well, I think they decided to be. Uh, yeah, well, okay. Go so ahead. the last we have short term rentals. Yeah, we have so a long the thing we want to cover before rentals. in the last ten minutes we have before we have to go is short term rentals. So as we've been talking about for quite some time, speaking of privilege, yes, there is. <laughs> there was a there was a, a hearing and then a vote by the city council on a ordinance put forth by Councilwoman Kristen Palmer um, on how to regulate short term rentals. And as we talked about last week and as we've talked about for the many times we've covered this since issue. Resistance lot, since Resistance Radio. I think one of our first episodes was on yeah. short-term rentals hearings. Um, this has been a hot-button issue in our cities for some time, and we're coming towards like the end of like what the final legislation is going to look like. This resolution passed on Thursday with a 7-0 to zero vote after a very lively public hearing. And so I, I heard just, it got crazy. I just want to go over sort of like what, what very quickly what it included. So... Before what any, the bill? Yes, before before this ordinance, what used to be allowed is that there were residential permits that you could get in basically an unlimited fashion, and commercial permits that you can get in basically an unlimited fashion, and you could rent out a whole home, and it led to all of the negative things that folks have experienced with it, with displacement, with rental, with rental prices going up, um, with people buying up houses, buying up like whole blocks. And just turning into short-term rentals, neighborhoods crumbling because like you don't have neighbors, you just have day like nightly guests coming in and out, and no one's really invested in the neighborhood. All of the things that we've heard folks talk over and over and over again about like the negative effects of it. And so, what the original ordinance that Kristen Palmer put forth that had some changes since she put forth in it, it included two things that were supposed to help with that. One being a mandatory homestead exemption, which means that in order to get a permit to have a short-term rental in your home, you have to produce a homestead exemption, which you could only get legally if you if the home that you're applying for is your primary place of residence. So Mark Allen would have to actually live at the place he's trying to rent a room at in order to get that permit and prove it with a homestead exemption. This So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. This stayed in the ordinance and it survived a couple of challenges to it and a couple of changes that people wanted to make. It survived as is and is in there. So now if you are trying to get a residential short-term rental permit, 
you have to produce a valid homestead exemption, meaning you actually live in that home. And now the reason why I was joking initially about the privilege and we I, we were really short on time is that uh, that for people who purchased homes, yes, that it under the previous rules, boo boohooed quite loudly that they had purchased these homes and now oh, they're left yes, with these homes because there are people who this happened specifically like very badly in the Treme where people would buy up homes in the Treme and then just turn it into like just for Airbnbs and never intending to live there or have tenants and now they're like what am I supposed to do with this property I bought <laughs> right, like watch me shed some tears um so one thing that did not make it in and this is not a good thing is there was a um there was a proposal put forth for the commercial short-term rental permits that for every commercial unit that would be built for the extent purpose of using for short-term rentals the developer would have to develop a a um a one-to-one match of affordable housing units which if you're trying as the city says is doing trying to create more affordable housing that would be a fantastic idea this did not make it into the ordinance and essentially on commercial permits it's a free-for-all um and People can just get those, and they don't have to develop any sort of. There's no sort of requirement to develop affordable housing, and that was just like a loss. Another thing that was a loss in that is the city council, and they did not choose to raise the the rate that they were charging um, operators to to have these permits. So it used to be that you had a there was a one dollar fee nightly fee for every night that someone stays that would go directly to raising funds for affordable housing. $1 is a very, very small amount. It only raised a little bit over $500,000 for affordable housing. And so a lot of advocates were asking for a, a to raise that fee to something like $20 a night that would actually raise revenue for affordable housing, and it didn't make it in there. What the city council said is the city council punted it over to the safety and permits division, the safety and permits office, and said that if they want to raise the rates, they can do that, and they can figure that out over the next couple of months. One thing I do want folks to watch out for, and folks need to pay attention to this, in addition to the continuing conversation about whether or not the nightly rate should be raised from $1, another thing that folks need to look out for is that something I was like very disappointed to see in there is that the city council um, asked the city planning commission to research um, what they're calling econo- potential economic development incentive zones, which sounds like... What it actually is, is what they're saying is they want them to look into the idea of what if a neighborhood is, quote unquote, struggling and to incentivize development there by saying you can build a short term rental planned property in this place. So let's say you're living in a place like Girt Town that is having trouble getting people to develop there rather than any incentive to build affordable housing or like real housing that people could live in and like make and live and make a life in. They're say, they're researching the ability to like classify that as like an economic development potential development zone and to like incentivize people to build short term rentals there, which that's the whole problem of what we were trying to solve right, here. Right, right. So it was a, it was a, it was a little bit of good, it was a little bit of bad, and, and stuff uh, to keep paying attention and to. And stuff which that we is need to always keep the point that we make to. here at Resistance Radio is you can't stop paying attention for more than a minute. It's so, so important that we continue to make our voices heard. The concessions that were made on the Homestead Exemption were only made because people participated. This is uh, Resistance Radio. Uh, Kenny Francis, thank you so much. Mark Parody coming up next. Thank you so much. <laughs>